0: The following is a breakout session from the 2014 Acts 29 Conference in Dallas. Given the interactive nature of breakouts and Q&A, there may be extended
1: periods of silence. You ready? You guys ready? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you for these men and the churches and ministries and families that they represent. I pray Holy Spirit as we uh, talk about the importance of providing for families and utilizing the gift of bivocational service to you. I I pray, Lord, that you would continue to encourage their thinking and continue to help them to discern what it is that you would have them to do. Uh, I pray for Ben and myself, God, that you would use us uh, to encourage these brothers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my name is Casey Cease. I'm from the North Houston area, the Woodlands Magnolia area planted a church there a little over four years ago. Um, I also own a publishing company called Lucid Books Uh, You've seen that we gave away uh, 500 copies of Through the Eyes of C.H. Spurgeon um, In your swag bag so as you go through all the sweet books you got early on uh, that is our company and uh, I've been around uh, About eight years now and so I'll share a little bit about how that came to be in a few moments I just want to talk about the case for um, bivocational ministry because here's what I know for most guys is they want to do bivocational just as long as they need to in order to be able to in their church and get in their church. Uh, ben and I want to plead with you to consider the possibility of remaining bivocational to some extent, um, even beyond just the launch of your church. Now, I understand there's some objections to that. I understand some people are not wired to do that. Um, I'm ADD, and so I say that's one of the ways that God has redeemed my ADD, is to help me be productive in more than one arena and avenue. Um, and I found it uh, for the young men that we work with, I, I found it fruitful that I can understand what it is to work a job and to, to work hard. In First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, right, it says, uh, he who doesn't take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever. And so I, I meet too many guys who are planning a church or even pastors of the church who really have a welfare mentality that they deserve to make a lot of money and take care of their family and, and hear me. Um, before I was a lead pastor, I was a community pastor and an elder. Um, mostly just paying uh, raising money and working in order to help that church plan um, and, and I want you to know I understand the stress and tension that goes along with that but um, and, and I'm for paying pastors well so I don't want you to hear like this guy's stingy and everything else but I want you to hear that um, that that the wages we earn should not be out of a sense of entitlement but because of the work we're providing in the service we're providing. Um and so I want to begin by just reminding all of us um from Acts chapter 18 verses 1 through 4 that the apostle Paul himself uh was often ret- you know referred to tent making and in Acts 18:1 through 4 it says after this Paul left Athens and went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila a native of Pontus recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them and because he was of the same trade He stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade and he reasoned in the synagogue every sabbath and tried to persuade jews and greeks and so um early on in 2000 i became a youth minister while i was still in college and uh i got paid two thousand whole dollars u.s dollars a month and i thought i was pretty rich um, until i took on a wife and then realized that okay that is not very much money um, and so I worked there for about two years. I, I made it past the 18 month curve for youth pastors, right? Um, I stayed there two years. And then I left to start a nonprofit corporation when I was 24 years old called KCC Cease Outreach. I wanted to be like Billy Graham. Um, I was in a car crash when I was 17 years old and it resulted in a, my friend's death. Um, It was my fault and so I was not yet a believer and at that time when I was 17 Jesus saved me And so I I had to start speaking as a part of probation Anyways, and so I I had finished probation by 2001 by 2002. I wanted to start an organization so I can reach out to kids Um, what I realized um, the first year in 2002 I uh, I Preached maybe 40 times that whole year and so I was working in other jobs at my dad's law firm um, and uh, I went to two youth (laughs) camps that summer to speak, and one of which I paid to go to um, and speak. And uh, 2003, same story, went to two camps, I paid to go to one to speak. Um, And then 2004, I I did 10 weeks of camp. God just opened the doors and the ministry really took off. Um, By 2005, I had a lot of friends saying, hey, I really wanna do what you do, but I don't know how to do an organization. What I found is a lot of ministers, they're fantastic with their gifts of preaching or counseling, whatever they do, writing but they have no idea how to structure an organization or run an organization so I changed that nonprofit from KCC's outreach to transform ministries and began to help other ministries get started either as an incubation stage and go out and start their own thing or be missionaries in Kenya or Scotland or whatever Um, and so we began kind of expanding that and so early on from the beginning of my time in ministry I've always kind of had a bivocational bent Um, It really became clear though when I moved to Brenham, Texas and really felt called to go there with a good friend of mine His name's Justin Hyde. The church there is Redeemer uh, Brenham now. It was called Christ Church and um, When we got there we only had enough to pay Justin part-time and he had other revenue streams And so I had to come up with one one was speaking I was still traveling and speaking but when I was there um, I started a pressure-washing company because it's an older town and I drove around I was like man, there's a lot of dirt around here and I heard you know I heard guys talking about how they needed stuff sprayed and I was like I was in seminary. I was driving back to Houston to go to Southwestern at the Houston campus um, once a week. And so I was like, well, I'll buy a pressure washer. And so I borrowed my dad's electric pressure washer and started telling friends, I have a new pressure washing company called Brennan Pressure Washing. Very original. And, um, and so I started getting some things. Well, I don't know if you've ever used an electronic uh, plug-in pressure washer. It has a stream like that big. And so you know, you're like 18 hours into a driveway, and you're like, OK, this, this, I'm making like $1.50 an hour. So um, I, I took, I took you know three or 400 bucks or 600 bucks and went and bought a really nice John Deere. Um, and so I started doing that, running bids. I had no idea how to bid out uh, a pressure washing gig. And so I just started Googling and buying books. And, and we started, ended, ended up having a pretty lucrative little pressure washing business on the side. Um, and so when that started wearing out, I started using technology, helping build websites on a platform. My wife still to this day remains that I, uh, that people in Brenham believe that I created and invented the internet. Um, they won't hear anything about Al Gore, right? They, it, they uh, because I started helping them build new websites because they would have these really awful websites. And so I would just find ways to provide for my family that allowed me to do what I was called to do. Um, and, and I'm gonna be honest with you, there's times that that's stressful when you're doing an entrepreneurial thing um, while you're trying to do that. And so I had my book publishing company at the time. I was traveling and speaking some. I was building websites, and I was helping people with pressure washing uh, and pastoring, okay? That's too much, okay? But one thing I've learned over the last few years is, um, you know, when I planted our church in uh, the Woodlands Magnolia area in 2011, we moved there in 2010, um, I raised um, a decent amount of money, but it wasn't enough on its own to take care of my family. And so I still traveled and spoke, and I, um, I, I uh in I would um, do p- book publishing. And so um, the irony is this. I'm dyslexic, okay? I've relearned how to read when I'm in, in 2002. I'm a pastor and a publisher, okay? So the irony is thick. I get that. It's not lost on me, um, you know? So if you're, if you're some, like, English, master's in English, and you're super snooty about grammar, then I'm just going to frustrate you. Uh, and then we'll talk about publishing your book. It'll be fine. Okay, so, <laughs> so w- what what we did, you know, with the publishing company. Let me tell you how this came to be. I was traveling and speaking. I hadn't moved to Brenham yet, and I met with one of my mentors. And he said, he said, Casey, you just had a little girl. It was our first child in 2006. And he says, uh, so how's that going? I'm like, it's okay. My wife's no longer teaching, and I need to take care of my family. And he said, well, let me tell you about something I'm doing. And so he told me about his uh, idea. He had this idea for a book publishing company. He. He had self-published with another company, got really frustrated, and so my friend's a high-capacity leader. So he was like, "You know what? I'm just going to make my own." And so he created this concept and idea for a book publishing company. But then he got a promotion at work that made him number four in a huge hospital chain, uh, like over the whole thing in Houston. And so he's sitting down, he's telling me about his his publishing idea, and I was like, "Why is this guy telling me this? I don't. I'm dyslexic, you know. If books don't have lots of pictures in it, or I'm not being forced to read it, why well, do I want to read it, right?" And I know I'm a pastor, and I'm reformed, and I'm supposed to like, sleep with books under my pillow. I, uh, I just don't. Um, I do read. I know how to read. But I was like, why is he telling me this? It doesn't make sense. And he says, well, I want to give it to you. I want to give you the idea. I want to give you all the research I've done. And uh, I'm going to give you a little money to get started, make me a proposal. And so you know, I, I immediately go, I go bigger, or go home. So I'm like, well, I need a Power Mac uh, with two 36-inch monitors. Mind you, I'd never been in Photoshop in my life. Uh, but I needed that in order to function well, right? And so I, I made this huge like $8,000 budget or whatever, and he said, he said man, that's, that's really impressive. I'll give you 1,500 and see what you can do. And so that's how it began. And so I started peddling books to anybody I could, like, hey, you wanna publish a book? I'll give you a sweet deal. And so I got this kid who just graduated college and saved his money, he's an English guy, and he wanted to write about his adventures in Thailand. And so I, uh, I published him, and we published it, and then nothing happened, right? And then a year later, someone came and said, hey, I hear you publish books. I'm like, well, I can, but I'm also pressure washing and doing all these other things. So uh, he's like, will you publish my book? I said, sure. And so slowly started publishing books. Then in 2009, um, the former uh, senior pastor of Houston's First Baptist Church, John Bisagno, was connecting me through some friends. He said, hey, uh, I want to republish this book, Love is Something You Do. And so we published that book, which then connected us to Bum Phillips, the former head coach of the Houston Oilers, we published his book, which then opened up distribution through the tri- traditional route for us. And so we started having more and more opportunities. Um, and, and by this time, we were moving into the area that we're now planting in. And so through uh, Lucid Books, through speaking, and through a little bit for my church, the first year uh, at the church in 2010, during the pre-plant phase, I made $16,000 the whole year. Right? I sit and do assessments for different church planting organizations. I'm like, well, what's your plan for working? And one guy's like, yeah, my, fir- my starting salary as a pre planner is $75,000. Mine was 16000 16, I had a master's degree. It was $16,000, right? So some guys are well funded and you're like, well, I don't need to worry about that. The majority of us, that's not our story. The majority of us are substituting and doing all this other kind of stuff. So, you know, one thing I tell, tell men is look, we need, we need to understand we're worth our wage, okay? In First Timothy 1, 15 through 17, it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of do- double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So here's the deal. Like I said, I believe in paying pastors well. At the same time, the laborer is worth his wages. Your, your, your pay is worthy of the work you're doing. When you have a church of 25 to 50 people, unless they're extremely needy, there's not. I mean, you can make yourself busy, but there's not a full-time, really level of work you have to do yet. If you're real honest with yourself, a lot of us feel like, well, I've got to fill 40 hours, and so we waste a lot of time, and then begin to believe that our blog and our social media presence is what's really going to make our um, our church blow up. Just from experience, that's not the case. You know, I have one kid. You know, and he raised a bunt. I say kid because he's like six years younger than me, but he uh, he wrote like this full like booklet on. Theories for missional communities and, and all that and I said I said how long did that take you he said oh man probably 30 to 40 hours at least you know and I'm like well, Why you know, I mean there's tons of great stuff on missional communities He's like well cuz I can and it's true. He raised a lot of money. He makes more than I do from his church And he has 30 people right Most of us though, that's not the way it goes most of us have to figure out a way to love our people, to model for them, you know, biblical headship, right? We talk about biblical headship in our circles, in our tribe. We want to, men are the head of the homes and providers and all that, but then our wives go work a full-time job so we can sit around, drink coffee, and talk about feelings with people, um, you know, and, and while we quote-unquote counsel them. Um, but when reality is, it's like, hey, you know, I, I, I think uh, a worker is worth his wages. And when you've got a church of 100 plus and you're working full-time and all that, and that's what you need to focus on, I get it. Um, But here's how it's kind of worked out for us. Um, I know what a lot of people think when they hear this, they're like, okay, well what do you do when your business grows and your church grows? And we're going through that right now with our companies. Um, You can't be an OCD micromanager, you can't. And so if that's the way you're wired, okay, one, you're gonna drive people crazy, your staff, and two, um, you're you're gonna burn out, it's just not gonna work. And so one thing that, that I had to do is learn how to hire really great people. And so um, as our church grew, because I don't require a full, full salary from my church right now, we were able to, to hire uh, an executive pastor um, at about 120 people. And he's an attorney. He used to be an attorney. And so he still practices law. So he's somewhat bivocational as well. And then we were able to hire another guy when we got to about 200, a family and community pastor, oversee community groups and our children's ministry, youth ministry, and college stuff. And he, he gets paid a good wage, plus he works IT work on the side. And so all of us are bivocational, but we're able to have three full-time trained, capable staff in order to love and serve and bless our church. And let me tell you, we work with a lot of young professional men, and they really respect the fact that we model hard work for them. Um, we provide for our families. Now, some people may have taken a vow of poverty. That may be one thing. Um, and so you're like, man, I, I want to just be poor and work. Most wives, you need to make sure they're on the same page. And that's not to dog the ladies. It's just it needs to be fair, right? Because most of us guys, we can live off ramen noodles and sleep in a, you know, a sleeping bag that we bought at you know, a thrift shop. But, but the wives um, deserve um, a little bit better accommodations. Um, you know, and I'm not against wives working if they're able and they have something and they're able to love their family and serve their family. Um, but, but at the same time, I think it's, Uh, Because men cannot abdicate the curse of hard work, or they can abdicate the curse of hard work on their wives, but their wives cannot abdicate the curse of painful child labor onto their husbands. And so, men, we need to take responsibility to provide for our families in doing so. Um, And we'll talk during Q&A some ideas that we have and all that stuff. Um, But but a couple things. Uh, Here's the deal: you you might have um, great success in your business. And if you don't have systems in place, that's going to greatly detract you from working. My wife and I are complete opposite. Her dad um, worked for 35 years for the Houston Police Department. He was a cop. That's what he did. Then she married ADD me, who like, was like, that's a great idea. She's a great balance for me, but she also understands that, hey, he's kinda, his sweet spot is doing one or two things at a time, um, and I'm able to focus on my church and give it the love and care that it needs. And also focus on the team I've been putting in place for our publishing company and so learning to love systems is key uh, there's a book called systems busters um, and we'll give you kind of a resource list that that we have I, I recommend this to business owners and to um, and to uh, business owners systems busters and there's another one called work the system and basically that's just how do we do what we do how do we run this company how do we Maintain that our work is getting done and and systems are key. Here's how we do what we do And so um, I hired a project manager for my publishing company and she is just meticulous on systems Right, and she's just cut and dry. I mean you're you know the first two years I thought she was just mad at me my existence because I was just not organized and but but it turns out that she really likes me and cares for me but she just gets the job done, right and so we, we quickly realized, okay, she's great at systems, getting the job done. She probably wouldn't be our first line of customer service because we don't want our authors to feel like they're hated um, by us. Some of them might be, but most of them are not. Um, you know, and so she, we, we create systems. And so I've told her, everything you do, I want you to write out in a system. I want you to write it so well that a five-year-old can replicate what you're doing. And we've done that in our church as well. I mean, have, those of you who are pastors, you ever walked in and be like, I, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna blow, I'm gonna blow something up because it, this is out of place or it's not right or this person keeps dropping the ball. And I was coaching a guy yesterday and I said, hey, have you written down what you expect of this person at your church? And he's like, no. I said, well, write it down and let your system be the jerk for you, right? Because you have to be smart about being a pastor. You're working with people and a lot of times volunteers. And so they're, they're helping you out and they're working for you. Systems are important. But systems are crucial if you're going to be a bi- bivocational pastor. You have to have systems and structures in your life. So System Busters is one book. The other one is Work the System. And again, we'll have... Uh, ben has created a slide for the end to show kind of those things. No, no, but you, did you put my website on there? Okay. kcc.com and under the resource sections, I have a lot of books for business. Um, systems are key because... That that's how you kind of maintain um, that focus, you know. And I, I love like Life Hacker. Um, they have a book, Life Hacker version two or 2.0, or whatever. And um, it helped me a lot with email, how to process email, plugins for email. Um, I, I use this uh, program five bucks a month called Boomerang, um, and Boomerang lets me send emails later. So if I know, you know, Susie's having a surgery next Thursday, I'll write a little email to her on Wednesday night but I'll do it on Sundays when I'm scheduling out my emails for the week. and So I'll sit down, I'll write it, and all that kind of stuff. I have systems in place utilizing technology to get the message out. And so it's working smarter for yourself. There's an iPhone app called Future Text. Because a lot of people like to communicate over text message. And so on an iPhone, it's called Future Text. It's not the best. Um, If one of you are app creators, then if you create a paid app for texting a future text, I would buy it. Just so you know, there's $1.99 for you um, out there, um, and I am setting your price for you. Um, <laughs> uh, but but it's, it, that's a great text to remind you to text someone. You can write a text at one time, schedule it out throughout the week, and care for your flock. Because when you're doing core development especially, right, you want to love on your people and care for them. But you also want to begin by setting expectations uh, early on that, hey, this thing's going to grow. And when it does you know, we're not gonna have this close stuff. So that, that's just a freebie. That's an ADD moment saying, watch it, you know. Because and, and I mean, right? You know, early on, right in the core development, you have like 20 people and you're like, you, you're just on them. Let me tell you, when you have 200, that's impossible. And if you're bivocational, it's really impossible. Um, Ben's gonna talk about kind of how do you figure out um, what, you, uh, what you should do, and so I'll let him talk about that. One thing I wanna encourage you with, be upfront with your intentions with your leadership, with your family, with your church. If you're like, I'm willing to do this for two years until we get up to 120 people, at that time, I want to be able to be free of this other job. Be up front, okay? Be up front with your expectations. You know, I, hey, I don't ever perceive getting fully out of this company with your leadership. You've got to be honest. And, and I understand our hearts change, things change, but as honest as you can be, Um, The best thing, I have a good friend named Jason. He always says, perception is reality. And so if people see that you're more passionate about selling life insurance than you are about the gospel, that's going to become their reality. If all they see you is like, hey, come to our next AdvoCare informational meeting, and that's all you're posting about constantly on Facebook, not only does that become annoying, um, but that, that people start believing that that's what you're really excited about and you're not really excited about the work. So you got, you got to be careful um, with your intentions of, of what you intend to do. I would stay away from network marketing for your, if you're a pastor, okay? Because, you know, you, right now the big thing is oils, right? And so you have a flu and you stink, right? And I've used them. I've tried them. I mean, I'll do whatever voodoo there is out there, but um, I'm kidding. not any voodoo, but, you know, I, I'll try oils and all kinds kind of stuff. But then you have the different brands of oils and all of a sudden you start seeing a schism happen in your body between Young Living and doTERRA, right? And then they start working, and then you know, over here you got the Avon lady and the Mary Kay lady and all that kind of stuff. And so you, you kind of have to set a tone of, okay, there are some boundaries about what I'm gonna do. And if you're gonna start hiring people in your church, you gotta be really careful about what you're going to do. Um, there's a book I read called uh, Hiring and Keeping the Best People by Brian Tracy, I believe. Hiring and Keeping the Best People. And so I've used that process from hiring our executive pastor on it's been excellent. Um, That's good for staffing of your church, that's good for staffing for your company. Um, He really lays it out because I'm not really good. I'm like, if I like you and you seem like you kind of know how to use a computer or something, I'll be like, hey let's hang out, that'll be fun, you should be on my team. That's a bad idea. It's a bad idea for church, that's a bad idea for your business. You have to develop a hiring process, especially if you're gonna work with people in your church. I have two people, um, on, actually three people now working for my publishing company that go to my church. And we get along great because they're a perfect fit, they're a great fit, and they love what we do. Um, and I, I, I lead them like a pastor, right? I don't, I don't pastor so that I can go get this other business started. I work this other job so that I can continue pastoring. And so you have to be real upfront and real honest with your intentions. Why are you doing this? Are you just doing the pastoring church planning gig because it seems cool and it'll get you a lot of new people to start your counseling practice with. That's messed up. Or are you working outside so that you can connect with the community and be a blessing to the church? The first two years of our church, I was the largest tither. Took myself out to lunch, put a plaque with my name on. No, I'm kidding, I, I didn't do that. But I mean, I was able to, you know, and it wasn't a ton, but I mean we had a bunch of people who were single or in their twenties and newly married and you know they, they lived off like twelve hundred bucks a month or whatever and so you know, them giving 100 bucks was like, they thought they needed to be congratulated, you know. Um, fortunately, that's not the case any longer. Delegation is going to be key for you. Um, and um, if you're not a good delegator, you need to be real careful with this. There's some lazy delegators that don't create systems and instructions, and so they delegate far too soon, and you have role ambiguity, whether it's your church staff or your business or whatever. That's not a good thing. Um, that causes friction, that causes tension for the people. And so you want to be really clear on the expectations, but then quickly train them and send them out and set them free to do that. Um, and I have to be jumped on. I am such a better coach than I am player. Um, I, I, I have a church, you know, it's, it's about 200 now, uh, three other full-time uh, people, uh, two pastors and an administrator. And I, until two months ago or so, I was still making the slides for my sermon um, and editing the, the podcast. And so I was talking to a coach that I meet with, and he's like, he's like what are you doing that you probably shouldn't be? And as so I started reading off. He's like, why are you editing your podcast? And he said, how long have you had a podcast? I said, like, since, since we started. Why have you had a podcast since you started? It's just busy work, right? And, and his point for me was, I was making a lot of busy work that I shouldn't be doing. And by the time we have something, then we should delegate to someone to do. It doesn't take much time, right? I mean, 15 minutes to edit that down, you know, 30 minutes to do the slides right, Well, that's 45 minutes already taken out each week. And if you're trying to work bivocationally, you've got to be really smart with your time. You've got to make a list. What are the top three priorities? And once you have leaders and elders, what do I need to be doing? What do I need to make sure I focus on and not compromise on to do it? Well, for them, it's preaching and teaching, leading and vision, and caring for our leaders and the lost. The community group leaders will care for the general flaw as we're training them up and releasing them. But Those are the three things I know if I'm not fulfilling these well, I'm dropping the ball. And that helps me be focused so I know what needs to come first before I go and do my business stuff. With the business, I'm, I'm working to where I have specific touch points in the operation, but I don't have to be involved in the day-to-day operation very often. And so we're continuing to build that out as the church grows so that I can own an asset. Um, I, when I graduated seminary, I got certified as a business coach because I wanted to disciple men, and I, I liked business, and I wanted to help people. Um, and one thing that, that they always emphasized is you either own a business or you own a job. And a lot of self-employed people just own jobs, right? And so when you're thinking about what to get into, and Ben will hit on this more, when you're thinking about what to get into, think about owning something that can then turn into an asset that you either keep that generates income for you or something that you eventually can sell and utilize those funds to help further your cause of your ministry. Uh, I'll end with this. I'm running out of time. Um, There may be a time to close down what you're doing outside solely to focus on the church. But I think that bivocational ministry can be a huge blessing to your body and to your family. You don't have to be, you know, a lot of pastors, they, uh, I, I still remember one of my buddies uh, telling me that he would sit um, in his office and his lead pastor would be in his other office and he kept hearing this ding, ding, ding on his computer because the guy was playing computer games the whole day. Right? Collecting a full-time wage, playing computer games. Right? Um, don't be that guy. Be a man, we talk about wanting to raise biblical masculinity in our church and showing people how to lead and protect and provide their families. Let's lead out in that. And the ones, one of the ways we can is by finding a way to serve the community and serve people in a way that your people can say, man, that, that, I'm really honored to do that. There will come a time where your people start saying, hey, I don't want you to have to do that anymore. And what I tell them is, I don't want to have to do that anymore either. I want to get to a place where I can and I get to that the resources are a fair wage. I, you know, I want them to pay me enough so that if I died, they can afford to bring in another lead pastor. But at the same time, I, I don't want them to pay me so much that it hinders the mission and vision of the church. And so there's that tension. I know Ben will hit more on that. I wanted to give you some time. I went a little longer than I should have. So you take as much time as you want. Sorry. I was like, I was supposed to go to 9.30.
0: That's all right. We'll just keep you in here through Chandler's session. Is that all right with everyone? Um... Yeah, so here, here's what's, what's, what I like about how they've structured this is that Casey and I have had very different experiences with this. Um, some of you resonate with with him. He's done 6,000 different things and, and started them all. Um, and and my, my experience in being a bivocational pastor has been different. I've done one thing outside of the church, and I didn't start it. Um, I, I work for a university in Fort Worth. Um, I, I teach communications at, at TCU. Um, which is Texas Christian University, and, and yet it's not at all. Um, and in fact, Playboy ranked at the number nine party school in the nation a couple of years ago, and so um, that, that is where I spend my time when I'm not um, pastoring. Um, our church is 300, somewhere in there now. Uh, within the first year, um, I could have stepped out of my second job and focused full-time on the church because we had the support available for us and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and at times, our elders were working through it. It just became a conviction for us that there's something to keeping a foot out in the world. There's something to modeling for our people um, the idea of mission. There's something to being able to tell stories that don't rely on, well, when my friend Jim is at his job, this kind of stuff, and I called him to get that story while I was holed up in my church office for 40 hours a week, right? There's something to just leading by example in this. Um, so we have, we have seven elders now. Um, all of us, except for one, are bivocational. Um, so we have uh, three elders who aren't paid at all um, and, and yet they're doing the hands-on shepherding because elders are shepherds, right, before they're business decision makers. Um, and, and so we have a couple guys who do that and, and we have four supported guys um, to varying degrees. One uh, is, 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 is an entrepreneur, so he's out and selling business and selling retail about half his week and he, and he gives time to the church half the week. And one, I, I have no idea what one does if I'm fully honest, but he makes a ton of money doing it and then he works for the church half the week and we don't, um, and, and his, his income from the outside makes far more for him than, than the church pays him. Um, one, one of our elders is, is full-time, but it's because he just finished his Ph.D., and we felt like it was unloving on him to make him work for the church, have him finish his Ph.D., and pursue a, another job. And then I work at a university. And so just Casey's story and, and those stories, um, we're, we're sharing some intentionally of our experience to, to kind of hopefully get the juices flowing for you of what could this look like for me. Uh, my, my reasons for being bivocational when we started our church, first it was a stewardship thing. I love what Casey said of the laborer's worth his wage. We started with 20 people in a living room. I wasn't worth a full-time wage from those 20 people. It would have been unloving, uncaring to our tiny little church body to go, hey, I need 5000 from each of you, right? Um, th- th- there's, there's no way that I could have demanded that of them. Um, I'm, we're here to serve, are we not? And those of you who raised your hand before we started and said I'm a bivocational pastor, we, we get some of this. The other motivation for me w- was, was to battle idols. Uh, and, and for some of us, I'd ask the question, how far are we willing to go to put our money where our mouth is as far as battling idols? Every church planter I know and most pastors I know are massive control freaks, amen? Some of you just thought of the pastor you work for right now. Um, But yeah, we we get this. We want to have our hand in everything. We we have this controlling nature about us. There's some good elements of that, right? We own vision. We get to cast that vision. God has gifted us as his under-shepherds some people. So so we have to, on some level, embrace the idea of leading and controlling. And, And yet, for many of us, that strength becomes a weakness. And so I know that there are things in our church plant I shouldn't touch and, and, and being bivocational, having only a number of hours to give to the church helps me remember there are things in our church plant I shouldn't touch. Uh, Matt, our, our part-time elder who um, also does, uh, does retail sales, um, he has a PhD in organizational culture. I'm an idiot if I go, I should sit as the king of our church and, and structure everything. Um, he's far better at it. Um, Chris, Matt, another Matt, Dennis, these are folks who are incredible shepherds it's not to say I, I, I shouldn't shepherd we should all shepherd but as far as care counseling just being available this kind of stuff their giftings are such where i shouldn't try to be everyone's functional savior i should let these guys play out their giftings this makes sense and so so bivocationality i like that word um, it's not real but i like it um bivocationality helps me battle idols And so I kind of fell into um, my second job right as we were starting. Um, TCU, it was was 2009, the year the economy crashed. TCU is not the cheapest school in the nation to go to. And so they over-enrolled by 600 or so freshmen because they thought we need to make a bare minimum of a freshman class. And because the economy's crashed, not all these freshmen are going to show up. Um, if you know anything about TCU, the stereotype is that rich kids go there. Um, turns out the stereotype's true. All 600 of those showed up, and so they were scrambling across the board to add freshman level classes. I'd been in ministry, I'd done some speaking stuff for the last decade or so, and a lady in the dean's office at the communication school called me and said, I know you're starting a church, which I assume means you have a lot of free time and need money. Um, we have positions for freshman level speech teachers. Are you interested? And I said, let me, yes, absolutely, right? Um, and so I, I started and I taught uh, a couple semesters. Um, it, 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 was a, it was a one semester commitment. Um, and then that semester commitment's been renewed for the last 11 semesters now. Um, and I've always taught one to, to three classes. And so my my experience was seeing it as a way to, to support myself and my family, to Casey's point, seeing it as a way to, to have to do a little bit less outside fundraising, which, Anyone who's fundraised, unless you're a freak, will tell you, if you can do less of it, praise God for it, right? Some of you love fundraising, and if that's you, come talk to me, because I need to raise some funds for some other stuff we're doing. But other than that, um, most of us, that, that, that is a necessary evil. It is a good and holy thing, but we see it as a necessary evil, and so I looked at TCU as one of the supporters of our church plant. They wouldn't say that, but that's part of how I saw it, and then um, and and then it was a way to bless our church. And but what it did was, within a couple weeks of being on campus, it led me to a place of going. I'm living as a missionary on a dark, dark college campus, right? Like within a couple weeks, I realized I have fifty students divided between two classes who would. Many of whom would never walk into my church or Casey's church or your church or the church that's in your head right now. That'll look different when you plant it. I promise. Like there's there's people that I'm getting to see and experience and interact with, like the president of the Islamic Society, and 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 like four of the four of the atheist club members sat in the front row my first semester, and and the the professors that I got to interact with, which were across the spectrum as far as intellectual humanity goes, and and what I realized from all the things that Casey said, and and I hope you you heard a weave. A, a, a woven thread through his businesses. They serve people, right? They, they bless people. They, they kept driveways clean. They built blogs for little old ladies. They, um, they, did, they did some of this kind of stuff. To, they, they helped books get published, right? So, so, so I saw this as an opportunity very quickly, not just to make some money, but I'm, I'm living on mission here. I'm getting to interact with folks in a dark place, and so the benefits that have come from this for me that I want to encourage you with as you consider this very viable option are, are that. It, it, it's a stewardship thing. It helps battle idols. And like I said, it keeps me in the world. It helps give me credibility as I preach on mission with my people because I can tell them stories of fruit that's been born through taking my students to lunch and, and getting to know them throughout the semester. Um, it, it allows me to equip not just with teaching, but, but by example. And so, so let's get really practical, if, if money is the only driving factor, th- then sure, go get any job as you consider this. Um, go get any second job. But, but, I, but I hope you heard, we've both tried to be intentional about the jobs that we've started, and so I, I just want get, to get really practical and give you some, some questions to ask, some things to look for, and kind of race through this, and then give you time to ask. Questions, but there's two sides of this of, of what to look for if you're going to pursue a second vocation. And the first is this: questions to ask for yourself, and then second questions to ask for your job. You're buzzing, okay? So in you, here's the first question to ask: What are your gifts and passions? Right? This is, this is the same thing I tell parents at TCU's orientation every summer. The, the saddest thing for me to see as, as freshmen come through is them graduate four to 12 years later um, in a career they don't want to be in because that's the only, day mom, that's the only way mom or dad would, would pay for college. Right? We, we know some people who are like this. Maybe some of us were like this. We, we, we graduated in a field in a major because we thought it would earn us a lot of money or we thought it was the right thing to do or had the best earning potential or whatever, but, but it makes us miserable. Right? Some of us have had jobs that make us miserable. Don't take a second job just because they will fill a void in your wallet. Right? What, what is your gifting? What is your passion? If you're a people person, being a night stalker at a grocery probably isn't the answer for you right? For, for me, I'd always said if I wasn't a pastor, I would teach. In, in fact, w- when, when I got married, my, my father-in-law wasn't a believer. Praise God he is now, but he wasn't a believer. He didn't really get the pastoring thing. Um, I met his daughter by hiring her to be a, a, a youth intern for the summer, so um, borderline creepy, but it worked. She wasn't a student, at least, So and, and, and so as we dated and, and got married, like we, I, I had to sit down with him, and, and, and he goes, if the pastor thing doesn't work out, what do you want to do? And I said, I think I would always love to teach, and I would love to be able to teach college, right? And so for me, when this opportunity came along, it fit my gifts. It fit my passion. So, so guys, ladies, what, what are you good at? What do you enjoy? Pursue jobs in those veins, right? At the, second, at the same time, here's the second thing, um, know your worth, right? So uh, again, I love that Casey, Casey mentioned that. But at the same time, know what you need to make, I'm not talking about know your worth in Christ. We get that, right? But, but what do you need to bring in in order to cover your cost? What do you need to bring in in order to provide well for your family? When we planted, my wife and I had been married for a couple of years, no kids, right? We just had our third baby a couple of weeks ago. We would need more now than we did then to support ourselves, right? And so, again, outside of a vow of poverty, don't be a martyr, Right? Don't die on a hill to make yourself look more holy in front of your people. What do you need to make? Don't be exorbitant, right? Don't do the preachers of L.A. thing, right? Uh, Which you haven't seen that show. Go watch it. It'll really make you mad. Um, But but what do you need to make? So so as an adjunct at TCU, I don't get a lot of money from them, but neither do they require a lot of me, right? I can kind of go, show up, teach. I go out of my way to get to know my students, but as long as I have office hours and as long as I grade papers and that kind of stuff, there's not a lot else required. And so, the, if I can say it like this, the, the, the cost, cost time ratio, not cost benefit ratio, but the, the, the income time ratio works for me, okay? If, if you're a good leader of your family, know what you need to provide for your family. So, so if you need to make 50,000, just to, to throw out a, a random number, and if the church can pay you 30, Making 325 at Sonic's probably not going to cut it for you, right? With the number of hours that you have left to give, plus you have to wear roller skates, and that's weird, right? So, so doing this kind of thing. Don't settle for 16,000 if you need 20,000. Don't look for the minimum wage job just to say you're bivocational. Make sure the hours to income ratio plays. Okay. Third thing: be a blessing, right? If you're going to work somewhere, be the hardest worker. Limit your hours. Again, know, know what you can give, but in those hours, be the hardest worker. Work as if you're working for God, not unto man. Be the biggest blessing to the boss that hires you. Be the biggest blessing to the employees that God's given you, right? If all work is to the Lord, that isn't just preaching and pastoring and this kind of stuff. Otherwise, everyone else who does any other profession cannot work unto the Lord. So, so let's look at both of our professions as ways to glorify God and serve people and bless people right? It's not, it's not just a way to, 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 to make ends meet, right? It, it's a way to bless and serve and go out of your way in the world that God has put us in. And then the fourth thing to look for is, is know what you can manage, right? So, so Casey can, can keep a hundred plates spinning, apparently. I, I do well if I've got a couple things at a time. Um, I, I do better at that than if I have just one thing, right? But the more stuff that goes on in your church, as it grows, there's going to be more plates spinning under the umbrella of pastoring. There's gonna be more things to do. And so so what what is your capacity? I don't think I could have gone and started a, a publishing company and given time and energy and thought and that kind of stuff to that, right? I can give enough thought to develop out lesson plans and then have them kind of in a, I tweak them every semester some, but they're kind of plug and play, right? Develop them out once and then go teach and build a relationship with students. I have the capacity for that. So, so what is your capacity? What is your unique gifting? What is your unique makeup? Again, if you're doing 30 hours to the church, let's, let's be honest, most American work weeks are 50 hours, right? And so that's, that's what we consider full-time work at our church, and so, so I, I'm... I'm I'm about 35 hours at the church and about 15 hours outside of the church, right? Maybe that's workaholism. I'll accept that if you want to accuse me of idolatry. But, but, but just looking at the world around us and trying to be an example to our people, they're working at least 50 hours, right? And, and so if you're given 30 hours to the church, then, then don't work more than about 20 hours outside of it. Otherwise, you do slip into that definite workaholism, and and, and that can become an idol for you, and that can become something that your church and other elders and other pastors should rebuke you for. Work is hard, right? That's part of the curse. No matter what job you have, it's going to be stressful. That's true of outside jobs. That's certainly true of wherever you're at in ministry, amen? And and so know your limits. Revisit your limits. Um, Throughout my 11 semesters at TCU, I've taught one class a semester at times. I've taught three classes a semester at times. Some of that depended on what was going on at the church, what was going on in my family. Uh, and, and so revisiting these things and asking others to speak into them can be a helpful uh, recommendation for you. Okay, so those are the four things to, to, to ask as, as you're considering this for yourself. What are your gifts and passions? Um, what do you need to, to make? Um, how can I be a blessing? And then uh, how much time can I manage? What's my capacity? A couple things to look for in the jobs that you might pursue, also four of them, okay? Um, and some of these will contradict themselves, so, so just know that. Um, first, find a job that meets a need, okay? I've already mentioned this a couple times, so I'm not going to dwell here anymore, except to say that men and women, we reflect the fruit of the gospel when we restore brokenness, right? We, we build relationships with folks who are otherwise going to hell when we interact with them. As we serve others, we reflect Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve. So so would you be willing to to take a job that demands you go into darkness? Right? I know a guy who's a pastor and a bartender. A lot of folks found that odd. I thought it was awesome. Plus he gave me cheap beer. So even more awesome, right? Um, Would you be willing to to walk onto a a university campus? I'll be honest. The the folks who are my quote-unquote peers that I teach with are massively intimidating to me. And, and so there's times when I'd rather not go engage in some sort of communication theory conversation with them because I know that they've spent years studying this and gotten a PhD and I just happened to get hired kind of as a fluke because the economy was bad. right? So we get into a debate, I know they're going to win. But there's darkness there, right? Not in like the overt drug, sex, booze darkness, but, but in the fact that, that we work and live in a dark world and intellectualism, if you don't know it, is a very dark place. Right? Would you be willing to pursue a job that makes you go into darkness to, to go serve and find broken and hurting people? Okay, second thing, find a job that's flexible. Ministry has a weird schedule, yeah? Um, there, there's never a clock in, clock out kind of thing, right? Um, you, you can't plan when someone's dog gets hit and they need you even though they shouldn't, but they do. They call you because they need you because they love their dog and like a kid to them, right? So you can't plan when that happens, right? The more flexible the job, the easier it is to work around. So, so, so maybe it's shift work where you know a couple weeks in advance, here's, here's my schedule and the rest of the time I'm open, right? Maybe it's not shift work. Maybe it's a mobile office, which is happening more and more, and especially with startups or especially with businesses that are trying to save costs, right? Maybe it's just having a job with flexible hours where you're paid less to work a certain amount and more to get a job done, right? And so you can get a job done on different uh, time schedule, right? If you're over people, I'll just reiterate what Casey said, make sure you know how to delegate well, right? If you're under people, if if you have a boss that you're working for, clarify those expectations from the beginning. You know, here's, you hired me for 20, it needs to stay at 20, right? Not easy conversations, but it'll save way more frustration at the end to have those conversations up front to clarify those expectations, even if they're awkward, than to wait a year and then have the expectation talk, Right? when not only is it still awkward, now it's awkward and you're mutually pissed off at each other. Right? So clarify those expectations. Third thing, find a job that's relational. Okay, these are, these are the, the, where some of these might contradict themselves, Right? because the shift work thing may be a night stalker at a, at a store, Right? and it's a way to serve and it's a way to bless, but it may not be all that relational right? So as you're looking at jobs, look for things that fit these. The more of them that, they, that, that, that fit, the better, but at least, at least ask some of these questions. At least find jobs that fit some of these categories. Um, one of our elders uh, who, who just stepped down for some health reasons was a physical therapist, and so he spent all day literally in a curtained-off room one-on-one with people causing them pain as they were healed, right? Um, and and. and He's dealing with broken bodies and has for the last 40 years of his life, right? And so he had so many opportunities as he was in these PT, curtained off physical therapy, curtained, curtained off rooms to, to, to not only talk about broken bodies, but to talk about broken souls, right? And, and it's because he saw himself as a minister and a missionary and an elder and a physical therapist, right, that, that he used his job, he used his role for the sake of ministry. He's a relational guy, Right? Two of our elders are named Matt. They, one, is, one is in sales and one does the retail kind of stuff. They both travel a ton. And so they've, they've seen business trips be the best place, right, to, to have gospel conversations with folks. If, if we're in an office environment, that kind of stuff, most of us don't have the luxury of just walking cubicle to cubicle all day long going, hey, how can I pray for you, right? If you're, if you're in an office, you have a role to play, a job to do. And if you don't do it, someone will, right? But on business trips, after the meeting's over, both Matts have had great conversations at 1 a.m. in a hotel bar because they chose, instead of going to bed at 10, right, which they both have young kids, so it would have been nice to go to bed at 10 when they could and kind of sleep in and get a full night's sleep and that kind of stuff while they're on the road, they both chose to stay in the hotel bar and sit with the coworker that they traveled with. Right? or sit with the team that they traveled with and have conversations while they're off the clock, and both have seen fruit born from that. Right? If we're going to live on mission, if we're going to live in, in, in this world of bivocation, let's live there well. Let's live there with intentionality, and let's live there for the sake of the people around us. Okay? So so my encouragement is find, find a job that would allow you to do ministry outside the church walls, just like you call everyone else in your church to do. Right? And the last thing, find a job where you can replace yourself. Okay, so again, if you start something, make sure you can scale it and give it away. You may not be bivocational forever, right? Just don't leave your bosses hanging. Don't leave your employees hanging. Don't leave your organizations in a lurch, right? If you start something, again, make sure you can can scale it, you can give it away. Casey said that and he can speak more to that than I can. If you work somewhere, make sure that you can be replaced. Right? Make sure that the thing you start, the position you're in, won't die when you leave. Unless maybe it needs to, but a lot of times if you're serving a role, if you're doing good work, then you need to find a, a way to replace yourself. Okay, and let me close in, in, in a similar way that, that t- to what Casey did. Um, we believe in this, uh, and we believe it's not just a necessity. Um, too many pastors' conferences have a session on bivocational work, vocationality, and, and, and the entire session is, let me give you five ways to get out of it as quickly as you possibly can. We believe it's a blessing. We believe it's a, it's a, it feeds many things that are lacking in our churches, okay? and I hope you've heard. like We have a passion for this, but hold it loosely, right? So, so for the first time, you're the first people who know this, for the first time in this coming spring, I'm not going to teach at TCU, and if I'm honest, I feel a sense of shame because I have raised this flag of being bivocational for the last six years. Like I said, we just had our third kid. We're about to start a church planner residency, and so in processing it with our elders, we go, man, for the first time in 12 sem- 11 semesters, 12 semesters, it might be good just to step out of it for a season. Make sure you're not going to kill yourself with these new things that have landed on your plate, and I'll likely go back in the spring. Right? But, but hold it loosely. Again, reevaluate it as you go. right? Paul was likely bivocational in some seasons, but we also know that he raised support. Right? And it's very likely that he was a full-time supported missionary in some seasons. So who, who knows you well who can help you discern these things? Who knows you well to know your church isn't worth 40, 50 hours of work? Who knows you well to go, no, you need to give 40 or 50 hours of work to the church? What's your wife think? What's your community think? As your church grows, are you giving too many hours there? Right? So Casey uh, has, has on this topic said, like, know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Right, which is a poker reference for you Baptists, um, but the bottom line is, is vocational work is not the gospel. Right? It's not a hill to die on. Jesus is the gospel, and Jesus is the hill to die on, and, and the church is the bride of Jesus, and it needs your first attention if you're going to call yourself a pastor. But with the right view of it and with the right balance of it, it can be a great, great benefit to you and a great, great benefit to your church, and a great, great benefit to your family, and a great, great benefit to the Great Commission as God has sent you into the world around you. So I'm glad, and I know Casey's glad that you're considering it. So, that's our piece. We got 10 minutes or so. Um, what questions, what thoughts do you have? Yes, sir? So you, are all your elders that are bi paid by the church? No, we have four elders that are paid on some level by the church, and then three that are not. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Uh, how do you guys... Yeah. So the way that we choose who to pay and who not to is, is there a role that needs eight or less hours per week to carry out well? If they're more than eight, then we bring them on at least as like a quarter time job. Okay. And so, and, and that's, that's legitimately, le, le, legitimately looking at it and going, we feel like most people in our church should be able to give six or eight hours a week to serve somehow. Right. And so, if it happens to be an elder role, it happens to be like shepherding and meeting and that kind of stuff, then on one level, on the, on the worth it's wage level, it might not be all that different from someone who's just a really, really good community
1: group leader, city group leader, yeah. right, and so. For us, it's, it's also, uh, uh, we think through, is it mission critical, the mm-hmm. task we're asking them to do? Because with, with greater responsibility, uh, we want greater accountability. One of the greater ways to earn accountability uh, and let it stick is through finances. Yeah. Um, you know, and so certain volunteers, you, you only have a certain, I mean, ultimately we want mature disciples in Christ who, you know, just really are perfect, right? But none of us <laughs> are. And so there, for us, the, the, there's a lot of combo. And, and also I think we look, we try to rest in some of the acts two model of what are the needs? You know, we, you know, our worship guy works another job at a body shop, his parents body shop, but we know what his needs are to kind of make, make a mix and have him in the office twice a week plus running the band and everything else. And so we kind of work all together that way. Um,
0: and, and I'll just mention on that, we're, we're, we're six years old. We're, again, 3, 350, something like that. We've never paid anyone to do music. Yeah. Because um, if these folks love to do music, like our, our, our music guy, our, our, our lead music guy, our deacon for music is a full-time math teacher. And, and, and they get together and can pull off a, a decent Sunday. I'm sure it could be a
1: little bit better, sure. But Any guy willing to lead worship in our area for free is yeah. terrifying. So, um, you cannot have mine then. No. So uh, tell them there's some great schools out in our area. So yeah. I'm sure. No, I mean, that, that's, that's the challenge <laughs> for us on, uh, on, you know, I mean, there's certain things like if you want really good musicians in your area and our area, you have to pay 250 bucks. So we've gone without really good musicians for a long time. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to grow to a size where more people want to play at yeah. the same time. I'm not opposed to paying musicians to an extent, um, if that's what they do full time and they're like really doing music not like, I want to be a musician. So I live with my parents. That's like no. Yeah. Good question. What else?
0: Yeah. Uh, is prioritizing family time with two jobs a challenge? Yeah. Prioritizing family job, job time with it, with one job is also a challenge yeah. <laughs> for most of us. Um, I mean, I would say for me, like we've and, and Casey talked about systems, and he thinks in systems better than I do. I'll tell you, like the the personal system that my wife is amazing at holding me accountable to is just going what are the set normal hours that you work per week, and then you know, we, we block out about four or five hours of that 50 that we know is just gonna be flexible, last minute, emergency, breakfast, evening, that kind of stuff, but only, only four or five. And so like, we have our work hours that, that, that we work, and then we have a few hours that are flexible, but for the most part, outside of those, unless massive emergency comes up, which it does, but that's the exception rather than the norm. Um, and then the other thing I would say, like one thing that, that just clicked for us a couple, a couple of years ago now, um, the idea of a work week in, in 40 or 50 hours and these in this block of seven days can become very, very, very confining and very stressful. Because if we look at everything in a week scale, they will, uh, there will always be more to do than we can accomplish in a week. Not just with work, with the, the, everything you have to do around the house on Saturday or whatever, especially if you're at a conference Saturday morning. right? Um, but if you look at it over the course of a month, Th- then it just gives you a little bit of a breath of fresh air and go, okay, well, no, I didn't finish bagging all the lawn, mo- on the, all the lawn clippings that I mowed Saturday, but guess what, tomorrow's Sunday. And just because my calendar ends here doesn't mean I don't have a couple hours tomorrow afternoon, right? Yes, I want to take a nap because I preached and blah, 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 but, but I can go out and bag clippings tomorrow. And, and just the, the, the way we get ourselves locked into our calendars, thinking week to week to week can add a ton of stress. And if we just start to think month to month, then, then all of a sudden we can, if, if we think wisely about it and have help learning this new habit at least, we can kind of go, okay, I can stop and put that off till tomorrow because my family actually does matter more than this checkbox because the week looks like it
1: ends. Does that help? Yeah. You know, and, and another thing for us, you know, I just said with my wife, what's important for us, we have young girls, what's important? She's like, hey, when you come home at 5, the nights you're able to be home. Uh, and I have a rule now, I don't, I'm not out more than three nights a week. Um, mm-hmm. so less than half the week I'm, I'm home at night g- having dinner with our girls. Um, and I put my phone away from five till eight 30. Um, and that's very hard, but I can run my entire publishing company pretty much through my phone. Um, and so she knows that I can bring my office with me yeah. uh, when it comes that way. And so I, I put it away to show that I'm home from work, um, and really find those m- moments of impact. And that's what you have to do when you're planning, even if that's your only task is what are the things that are most impactful for me to do? Um, cause a lot of times there's just a lot of periphery stuff that isn't. Um, you know, and, and people are like, man, how do you have time to do all that? And I'm like, I watch two Netflix episodes instead of three um, at <laughs> night, you know, and I mean, I, I'm kidding kind of, but, no, you, don't. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's just that balance. I wrote a, a blog series on my website, kccs.com called The Lost Art of Tent Making, um, and there's a lot of practical kind of tips there um, uh, for you to kind of go through. You can email me directly through that. I'd love to connect. It's not me trying to get email uh, signups or anything. I, I just really want to help people um, think through that because, as Ben said, th- there are seasons where you should do and there are seasons where you should back out. Mm-hmm. If I go on sabbatical, I need to make sure that my teams are ready to understand their jobs while I'm gone for f- several months. So there's a lot of things like that you have to think about as a pastor that's unique to just owning a business. Yeah. What else? Mm -hmm. you can still like your church can still provide benefits and you make that part of the salary package i know like with acts 29 they have a deal with guidestone guidestone's not like well how many hours you've been working to do that they're like do you have money and will you pay this um a couple other options are samaritan's ministries or uh, medishare um which are kind of christian co-op healthcare options um they don't care again where your money comes from as long as you have it um So, I mean, they'd probably prefer it to be legal, but...
0: (laughs) (laughs) But if you just tell them it isn't a wink, then they don't know. And and I I do think Guidestone has a minimum of 20 hours per week. I think you have to work at least part-time for the church or some other church-related ministry. Um, But then, too, like we've had folks work for Starbucks, and Starbucks pays benefits if you work more than 20 as well. Or we've had folks who... um, like Container Store, and, and other, other places like this are are modeling themselves after Starbucks, seeing like the fact that Starbucks keeps better employees by offering benefits. And so not a ton yet, but but more and more um, companies are doing this, or at least they were until government healthcare started. And that's not a knock. It's just I don't know what's happened with those options since government healthcare was put in. But there's always government healthcare as well, whether you like that or not. I mean, again, I'm not. <laughs> Anything else?
1: Yeah. We had a slide, I think, of some references. Yeah. yeah, put on. But yeah go ahead and ask your it's question.
0: And yeah. It's not flexible at
1: all. Right. And so I find during the summer it's great. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but there
0: are seasons in the school year where it's not that flexible. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to do the
1: church. You know, I think planning is going to be your best friend. So Let's what I would suggest I is like, hey, take three or four days in the summer or a week and plan out your preaching schedule for the next six months until your Christmas break. And say hey here's kind of I'm gonna go through this book of the Bible or this series or you know I need to have Jim Bob come preach for these two weeks because I know it's uh, the state text the the state testing or whatever it is it's gonna be real busy or stressful mm-hmm. um, and really just kind of start be- looking like he said not just looking at a week at a time but plan out and, and here's the deal just write in pencil so cuz I, I know some guys are like well I, how do I know what the Holy Spirit's gonna be doing in six months well partly the Holy Spirit is uh, good because there's Providence and, uh, and, and so he can provide opportunity and give direction because he knows better than we do what we need, right? And so, you know, I have my preaching schedule, uh, I usually plan it out about six months at a time with great flexibility. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if I know, man, I'm, I'm going to be super slammed in November, then in October, I'm going to tell my guys I need to take three days uh, or a three-day weekend I know I have coming up because of, you know, Columbus Day or whatever, um, And you know, tell your wife, hey, on, on Friday or, or on Saturday, um, I'm yours. On Monday, I'm out planning. I got to plan, um, or prepare, or study, or start calling guys and say, "Hey, can you come preach for me um, these weeks?" Because I'm busy.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I said that. Too, and, and when you said that, I actually realized I lied to you. We we did start paying our our music guy for one month of See? the year. I'm I'm a liar. I'm I'm sorry. This, this last year, we started paying him one month of the year because he's a school teacher. So we pay him for July to plan out as much as he can, music-wise, for the entire upcoming year. Um, and again, it's it's a little bit creative, it's a little bit different. It's not paying him, you know, a regular salary, but during the time he has, we pay him full time for a month, and and he knocks out a ton of that other stuff. Um, trusting other leaders. Again, this is where the the I don't, I'm not going to project this on you, but I would answer for myself. That's that's part of where the idolatry was, is me feeling like I c- I was the only one who could go into shepherding situations or hospital visits or emergencies or even planning out some of this kind of stuff, and and and. Using that as an opportunity to go, how, how well am I doing at equipping the saints to do the work of ministry so that when I'm at school from 7 to 4 or whatever, if something's going on, yeah, I may be getting a text or two about it, but, but I know who I can send in my stead during their lunch hour, that kind of stuff. So who around you is, is, is joining you locked arm as a comrade in ministry um, as an encouragement? And, and a, honestly, I would pray that for you um, if you don't feel like you have that yet.
1: And just understand this, when you're saying yes to something or someone, you're saying no to something or someone else. Mm-hmm. So be very smart with that um, and, and plan well. Um, think strategically. Like for instance, um, when we came up here, um, I have my church team with me. I've got another guy in my church that's helping run my Lucid Books bo- booth that's here. I know that you know he needs some time because he's m- going, launching on a new endeavor. So I'm strategic. Just start thinking strategically. Who can I take with me to do this? Now teaching is harder, but if you're You know, working or doing something that you can, you know, if you're traveling and speaking, when I used to travel and speak full time, I'd always take a kid from the church or a young adult that I'm discipling and say, hey, go with me this weekend while I go speak, because I work like three hours while I'm there and I get paid a ridiculous amount of money, Um, you know, and and then so I want to work while I'm there and show them how to minister and stuff like that. I always try to take one of my elder candidates or deacons um, with me to the hospital for hospital visits to model the the mystery of hospital visits. How are you doing? Do you need anything? Can we pray for you? Right, and so just think strategically, like because there's a lot of time that we waste. My wife put in, put me in check one time. She's like, I just don't have enough time. She says, Casey, okay, I'm just convinced of this. God created time perfectly, <laughs> and so we're the one that messes that up um, and waste a lot. And and she's a wise woman, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm still not perfect at it. I'm a better coach than player. Uh, it is possible, um, and just know that in, in, you know our email addresses are right there. I've got some business cards. Um, so if you need any, have any questions for us along the way, yeah. we're happy to help. What are the, add the systems books that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, systems bust, System Busters um, and Work the System. Work the System has a lot of antidotes like, this guy, I'm so, so stressed out, and I work four hours a week or whatever and it's fine. Um, but you can like fluff through a lot of that stuff and go directly to like when he starts unpacking, it's super helpful. Yeah. Um, I'll
0: just mention these, Bi- Bivo is by Hugh Halter, it's specifically on bivocational ministry. Tent making is more global missions focused, but, but the, the principles carry, uh, at least many of the principles can carry into American church planning as well. Um, every good endeavor, if you haven't heard of it, is just seeing work as, as a blessing, as a ministry, as a gospel empowered reality. Four-hour work week is, is will help with some systems and thinking through time. Uh, Field guide for everyday mission. Um, I think it's the best book up here for the record. But um, great uh, author, <laughs> yeah, Bob. Um, he's a great author. Um, it's uh, it, it, like part of why we wrote this is to to ask the question: How can we see our jobs as Part of the mission field God sent us to, and not just is your book at the Moody table, table still? Uh,
1: I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, Ben's book is, is great. It's at the Moody, the Moody Table.
0: Oh, thanks. Hundred dollar startup is, uh, is is about entrepreneurship. Um, what's best next is is uh, a guy who was in John Piper's church for a while, who kind of took John I've Piper's said. yeah right. The I'll end. Get, you should read it. Um, he he kind of took John Piper's God is most glorified in us, and we were most satisfied in Him, and applied it to thinking through workflow and thinking through priorities and that kind of stuff. So. That one has helped me a ton as far as just thinking through buckets and roll maps. and I'm not great at systems, Casey is, but, but that was helpful for me if you're like me and just need some practical guidance in where, where does my 50 hours go because it feels like it was yesterday and now it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a real practical, helpful book for me. It gets really repetitive, but it's, it's good. As any good Piper book does. <laughs> That's
1: true. Or Piper-esque. You know. Right.
0: Good. I feel All like right. we just probably somewhere, some, someone just locked a missile on us for saying something bad against Piper. No, I love John Piper. I do too. Did you hear that? Whoever's listening? We love John. Yeah, we love John. So, all right, hey, let me pray for us. If you want to stick around and ask more questions, awesome. If not, uh, go hear Matt. So, uh, Father God, thank you for uh, the men and women in this room. Thank you for the callings that you've placed on each of our lives. Thank you that you've sent us into mission and ministry, whether we're a church planter, whether we are um, considering these things, whether we're pastoring, whether we are burnt out and tired, um, whether we have nothing, no, no official role to play at our church and are in the world working, Lord, you've put the same call to mission and ministry on every one of your children, uh, and so we thank you for it. God, I thank you for the ability to, to, to balance things. I thank you um, that as, as um Stephanie has told her husband, you made time perfectly. And, and for all the time we botch it, Lord, you, um, you redeem these things. And so guide us and lead us. And, and most of all, Lord, before we consider our role as a pastor, before we consider our role in whatever job we take, remind us that we are first and foremost sons and daughters of you. And we've been adopted. And you will provide for us. And, and you have provided for us. And you can cause us to rest. And, and you, you're a better place to put our trust and to cast our worries and anxieties and whether that's mission or money or time or whatever else, you are the God over all these things. So thank you for being that and remind us of those truths when we doubt them. Be glorified in all of our jobs. It's in your son's name. Amen. Thank you, guys.